Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. You probably know this, but we live in a world that promises so much, yet so often fails to live up to those promises. Think about this. When electricity was first becoming available, there were the promise of it being free for everyone. That didn't happen. You probably remember this, when nuclear power stations were first being built, they were going to produce it so cheaply, they would, in effect, be giving it away. That certainly didn't happen. Natural gas, when it was first coming available, was hailed in a similar manner. They all cost money, and a lot of money. In the 1960s and early 70s, psychologists, in particular child psychologists, advocated for your children freedom of expression without the damaging age-old corrections and disciplines. How well has that worked out for us? This has left entire generations destitute and without purpose of life. And this is now being passed down to further generations, made even worse with the current anything-goes mentality when it comes to raising your families. So yeah, we can name many different things that all started out with supposed noble and good intentions with many of the founders doing so with integrity and good intent. But as the basic material of man is defective, we are sinful, we are morally detached, the end result of so many of these things is so far from the ideal first presented to us. The United States of America, a home fit for heroes, a home of the brave, a home of all those families who gave that ultimate human sacrifice, their loved ones dying for our life, our liberty, and our freedom. But now, instead of doing everything we can to honor our heroes, to build a place of peace for their children, we instead, it seemed, like to put all of our political energy into building a desolate wasteland of despair and divisiveness and growing inner turmoil and tension. We've had two wars to end all wars, followed by innumerable military actions around the world that have produced so much death, so much suffering. And there are still well over 35 wars of different types going on around the world today. Anywhere you see a color, there is a civil war, there is terrorist, there is conflict, or there is a war. Yet... Mankind, over the centuries, has, with all their best efforts, tried, at least in part, to give fellow humans peace. But this peace, you know, it's always been a conditional peace. Conditional as long as you are in agreement with my way of doing things, my perspective, and you're not pushing your agenda on me, not trying to infringe on my stuff, whether that be a physical boundary, economic considerations, or political systems. If you even contemplate infringing upon the interests of another like me, then God help you. It even goes down to the local and personal level. On your way home today, if you infringe on someone else's driving rights, if you don't do something the way that they think you should be doing it, just see what happens. At best, you're going to have some bad thoughts aimed at you. You might even have a string of abuse that I can't repeat here. So humankind's conception of peace and the way that we work through it is seen through Scripture to be totally at odds with God's plan and his model of peace. God's word. He says what it is and what it isn't, what's right and what's wrong, what we should do, what we shouldn't do. And the way that we're trying to do peace in the world is not the same as he gives to us. We too often talk about here in the world 
peace as simply being in a state of non-aggression. Well, we're not fighting with them right now, so we're at peace with them. Or a state of extended ceasefire. So long as the other side doesn't do something to tick me off, we're going to be all right. Yeah, peace of the world is so often no more than a begrudging acceptance of the other guy's existence. Yet the Bible, it sees peace as something totally different. Biblical peace, which as the Bible is God's word, means the Bible's peace is God's peace. True biblical peace is where two or more parties come into a state of being as one. One purpose, one intent, one in being. Perfect and complete harmony. Kind of sounds like a marriage relationship to me. And just like any marriage, peace is not something that we as natural man and woman can work at apart from God. This is something that requires a total change of our heart, a transformation inside of us so that we might become people of peace. People at peace with our fellow human. People at peace with ourselves. And of course, people at peace with our Father above. This peace is a gift of God to everyone who will simply respond to the call of Jesus to follow him. Jesus said it this way. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give peace. How does the world give? What is Jesus talking about there? Well, the world gives peace in such a way that it might exploit it later on. The world gives peace so that it can be seen as the good guy for a moment, but with fingers crossed behind its back. Yet all good gifts from Jesus are to bring us to a full and complete relationship with his Father, being at complete peace with his Father. The gifts we have make us complete people who are whole and not divided by the manipulation of the world. We become people who are able to hold our heads up high, People who know that we are the children of the living God, co-heirs with Christ, partakers of his divine nature. People who are able to approach the Lord God without fear. To be able to come into his presence like we are today. The presence of the holy, pure, and spotless, majestic King of kings and Lord of lords without having to worry about the crushing condemnation that our past sins and wrongdoings want to press down on us. Jesus, my friends, wants to give you the peace that defies any world system, a peace that surpasses all understanding. Because how many times have you come to a place in your life where you can just start seeing the light at the end of that very dark tunnel? You're just starting to rise above your, your crushing bad conscience when all of a sudden that state of non-peace returns with a vengeance. Your past is dragged before you in full color, showing all of your past sins and mistakes. You stand condemned, and every time you try to get back up, the world smacks you back down. That's the devil. That's the world. That's our sinful flesh trying to be in control. The callousness of the world, the cutting tongue of people who should know better, the rejection of someone you love and want to be loved back by in return. You're not even often at peace with your own self. Because your conscience is crying loud and clear to you, not good enough. How many sleepless nights have you suffered simply because you're not at peace? Friends, Jesus wants to give you that kind of peace. Not some peace that's a little more than a temporary break in hostilities. The peace that Jesus brings 
is more than two parties grudgingly agreeing not to fight anymore. Jesus has the ability to bring us to a place where we are made to be in complete harmony with God the Father, with our fellow humans one day, and with ourselves. One of the major benefits of having a relationship with Jesus is peace. Peace in our lives, in our day-to-day living. Peace with friends, relatives, neighbors. The peace with God. The New Testament repeatedly ties peace and salvation together. The message of salvation is even known as the gospel of peace throughout the New Testament because the gospel and its peace are interconnected. The Bible reminds us that we have peace with God and peace of God. And I'll get back to that in just a minute. But aside from that part of our salvation journey, the gospel of peace is also part of our spiritual armor. Remember what Paul said about our spiritual armor? In Ephesians chapter 6, he said this, Stand, therefore. Don't sit. Don't slouch. Don't recline. Be confident. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. There's that phrase, gospel of peace. Back to my statement that I said a few moments ago. We have peace as Christ followers with God and peace of God or from God. We know we have a peace with God because of our righteousness through what Jesus did. The rightness that your trust in Jesus grants to you, the way your heavenly Father sees you because of what Jesus did in his perfect life and his sacrificial death and his rising three days later. And you also have the peace of God or from God, which comes from knowing that you are secure in him, regardless of what's going on in the world around you. And one of the reasons these two aspects of peace matter is that they have a way of settling your heart before God. Because face it, if we rely on the world, our world that is so often devoid of any kind of peace, when we have peace that reigns in our heart as Christ followers, we automatically are setting ourselves apart from everyone else in the world that doesn't have this kind of peace, this connection with Jesus. Which is why our commission from Jesus as foot soldiers for the truth is so critical. Because so much of what is happening in the world right now could be different if only people had what you and I have. A peace with God and a peace of God. There's a story of a young man who was just so eager and fired up to grow in his Christian life and and find that inner peace. And he decided one day, I'm going to get a piece of paper and I'm going to write down all these things that I'm going to do for God. I'm so excited. So he wrote down all those things, the places he would minister to, the different ministries he would get engaged in, all the things that he would do and give up doing. And he took his list to the church and he brought it right up to the altar and he set it down on the altar and he felt nothing. He didn't feel joy. He didn't feel fulfillment. He didn't feel any more passion. He thought, I know what I'll do. I need to amend my list a little bit. I need to add some more things that I will and won't be doing any longer. Some more ministries that I'll be engaged in. He took his amended list, he took it to the altar and placed it down and again, Didn't feel a thing. Didn't feel fulfilled. Didn't feel joy. So then he said, I know what I'll do. I'll go find a wise old pastor. Obviously, Pastor Cranky or Pastor Neil. I'm not old enough yet. 
But he sought out that wise old pastor, and the pastor said, I can help you. Here's what you need to do. Crumpled up his paper. Take a brand new sheet of paper, a blank page, sign your name at the bottom, and then put that on the altar. That's what you need to do. The young man did that, and you know what? He felt that peace. Because you see, it's not our list made up of thinking inside the box, of thinking within our own comfort zone, seeing things from our own perspective. It's asking God to be in our hearts and in our minds, the Spirit working in our lives to show us His will and His way so that we can share it out to the world. That will bring peace in our lives. In Ephesians chapter 2, we see Paul sharing this of Jesus. Paul says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now he's actually not talking about geographically far off and near. He's talking about those who are far off from the gospel in those days, which would have been the Gentiles, and those who were near to Jesus and his ministry, which were the Jewish faithful. But Paul's statement here brings up a good question. When did Christ come to bring the good news to those who were far off, the Gentiles? He didn't do that during his ministry. He said emphatically, I came into the Jews first. Clearly it wasn't his earthly ministry prior to the cross, so maybe it was his resurrection before his ascension. No. How this happened was through the Pentecost spirit. How the gospel was preached to those far-off Gentiles was through those apostles. After they had that Pentecost spirit put on them, and the missionary program of the infant church was then initiated. And he's talking about you and I. How do we reach those far off who don't know the gospel yet? That's our task. That's our commission. In the verse right before this, Paul shared what Jesus did for the Jews and the Gentiles so that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, the hostility between Jew and Gentile, especially Jew and Samaritan. You see, the purpose of Christ's death and resurrection was not simply that the Jews and the Gentiles should be reconciled to each other so that they would get along, but that both groups would be reconciled to the one who mattered, and that is the Father above. And Paul even suggests that in addition to Jews and Gentiles, there are now a third type of person that has appeared, and that would be Christians. That would be you and I. Here and in other places, the biblical thinking refers to the church as a place of peace so that all people of any type and any creed and any tongue may come together and have reconciliation, the kind of reconciliation that has been brought about through the cross, as Paul said. Because what Jesus did at the cross was a death blow to the long-standing hostility between Jew and Gentile and between all fallen humanity and a perfect God. Flowing out of that relationship with the Father Jesus wants to bring to us individually is that sense of rest and peace and contentment that Jesus has promised to all who follow him and do his will. He said, peace I leave you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Because the nature of peace is seen very clearly in the relationship between Jesus and his Father. Jesus even said, I and the Father are one. And notice that Jesus in his living 
And even in his dying, everything that Jesus did moved and did totally the bidding of his father. His whole way of life, his whole way of being was in such unity with the father that there was never a point of conflict or tension. Paul goes on in Romans chapter 5 to expand upon that, where he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, talking to us, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Jesus had the mind of his Father so that his life was a natural extension of his Father's will. Jesus' whole personality and his whole being was in loving, willful submission because Jesus knew what? Jesus knew the Father's plan was perfect. It was loving, it was good, and for our best eternal interest. During Jesus' ministry, there were so many attempts to disrupt that relationship with the Father. Devil, the world, the world's sinful flesh. But never once did Jesus permit that disruption to happen. And friends, what is remarkable, you and I have that same connection, that same relationship today. When you adjust your way of thinking against this dimension of only seeing sin, death, and our fallen flesh, and begin to see instead the dimension of the power of the Spirit we have and the life that we have, we get a glimpse of the Spirit's peace. Continue to practice that perspective of life and peace, and soon it will become second nature. But how do you do that? This is the so what part of the sermon. This is where you start listening again. The so what question is, how do you live in that perspective of peace? How does it happen in your life? Well, it's been preached so many times from this same spot, but yet so many of us don't hear it, don't recognize it, and don't follow through. I'm going to say there are three simple steps. There might be more, but I'm going to give you three simple, not easy necessarily, but simple, straightforward steps. And the very first thing you need to do for a perspective of peace in your life is be engaged in the Bible. Doesn't matter whether you're here listening to it read, reading it yourself, listening to an audiobook or podcast or the Bible app. It doesn't matter. Do it. Be engaged in the Bible. How else are you going to know what God has in store for you if you're not looking at the Bible? Second, simple, straightforward task is to do what you're doing right now stay engaged in fellowship. Even this summer when you're up at the cabin or wherever you might be, I know that the Minnesota North has lots of churches up there. So find a church, even if you don't feel like getting up on Sunday morning or Saturday or whatever day they have the service. Make it a priority. Make it a point to be encouraged with other Christians. And finally, number three, continue to support the ministries of the church. Whether you're here or not this summer, the needs remain, whether you're physically present or not. And whether that is in terms of service or financial support or prayer, keep doing it. Whether you're here or not, we need your prayers. We need all of those things. The three simple, not going to say easy, but simple, straightforward steps if you want to live more at peace, if you want to live more in peace and filled by peace. I pray this message will be a blessing to you. And when you think during the coming week, what was Pastor Dan talking about when he was up there going on and on? One simple word, peace. And if you want that, go back and rewatch the YouTube video to find out those three simple steps. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.